Welcome to Insights into Organisational Culture, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how to create, sustain and influence organisational culture for high performance. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jagenba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Since graduating from USQ's MBA program, Phil Maxwell has served the Salvation Army in Australia, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, London and Chicago. This boy from Brisbane State High now resides in New York as the Salvation Army's Chief Secretary. Phil and his wife Desley have served the Salvation Army for 37 years and continue to find joy and energy in their calling. Colonel Phil Maxwell, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Phil, can you tell me a little bit about what you do with the Salvation Army in your current role? Okay, um, in organisational terms, I'd be the Chief Operating Officer. Um, the title that I have is Chief Secretary. Above me is a Territorial Commander and I, with him, look after the 14 states in which the Salvation Army operates in the eastern part of the USA. Uh, the USA is divided into four territories and, yeah, that's been my role since uh, February, which was one month before COVID hit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's been a different role for you than it certainly has been for the last person in that role. Absolutely. The biggest part of my responsibility is in the area of governance and to ensure that our administrative headquarters is operated effectively and efficiently. COVID certainly served to sharpen that blade considerably. When you kind of consider that we have fed over 50 million families um, in the last 12 months, provided housing to um homeless persons who have been taken off the street because of COVID. We've taken over motels. Just a multitude of direct interaction with the community that we serve here in the USA. And you've been with the Salvation Army for a long time and your wife as well. What led you to climbing that ladder? It's an interesting thing because, um, again, Salvation Army is a Christian church So a sense of calling is a big part of your willingness to give up maybe a career path that you had chosen for yourself. So both my wife and I felt a sense of calling. Um, We pastored churches for 18 years. Our heart was to work in developing countries. And so I pursued, after my theological studies, um, business degrees from the formidable institution of the USQ got my bachelor degree in management and moved further when, again, the Salvation Army kind of didn't open doorways for us to work in the developing world. I thought, well, I might as well do my MBA and sharpen that edge a little bit further. And so that opened the doorway in due course for us to move internationally, um, to work in Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands. Then London, I was part of the uh, internal audit team. So that was a governance role travelled to 24 countries in three years to review operations to ensure not only um, the compliance to Salvation Army's policies and procedures, but also in that same frame to review the work of our external auditors to make sure that they were valid, correct and sound. 
So it gave me an opportunity to see the Salvation Army on a global perspective. A lot of work within developing countries in India and Africa, parts of Europe, uh, South America, USA. So that kind of was that journey. And then after that, we don't apply for jobs in the Salvation Army. They audit your skills and abilities and then deem um, appointments that would be correct for you or appropriate for your gift mix. Uh, We did expect to go back to developing world and to work out our officership there, but instead they chose to send us to the USA and uh, we've been here nigh on five years now. Wow, it's quite a journey, uh, all those countries in that time. Can you talk to me a bit about your leadership experience in those different cultures? Understandably, there's a number of factors that come into play. By definition, organisational culture is something that we can just rapidly run off a a two or three sentence summary as, as to what it is. It becomes more complex when you actually try to define it because it's it's multiple layers. My experience in Australia gave me one focus because I worked within the same organisation for a considerable amount of time, um, 25 years, 26 years before leaving the country. So I have an Australian culture. I came to appreciate that multiculturalism is actually just another designated culture. So I may have worked in a multicultural environment, but that kind of had its own dynamics. I then overlay that a a church culture or organisation as an institution culture, values and beliefs that come from our religious beliefs, uh, married to that uh, people's own personal values. So it's a multi-layer understanding of where you work. As I said, living and operating within Australia, it was relatively broad but not really broad. Suddenly, when I moved overseas, my appreciation changed. Things that were absolute constructs within my setting in Australia were now flexible and negotiable. That was a shift that I had to appreciate and respect. I would say the most diverse period that I had was visiting those 24 countries and recognise that many of my assumptions that were, can I use the term, impregnated to me by my cultural conditioning were no longer valid. Or if I presumed they were valid, I would have to test and confirm that. So I think that kind of confirms that really organisational culture, by definition, is quick and easy to define, but really it's a, a dynamic living experience that just morphs and changes according to your settings and times. Wow. So what, what we're talking about here is that organisational culture is something that you may be able to define in some way on the day and in the place uh, and within the context of the environment you're working in. But down the road in the future, in that same place, it might be different. In a different place, it will, of course, be different and so forth. Absolutely. And of course, it's not all external. We morph and evolve as individuals as we get exposed to other other learnings, other understandings, other people's perspective. And so it it is this dynamic, fluid, ever-changing experience that we have to to reconcile within ourselves if we're going to lead effectively within an organisation. You're talking to me about how in these different places you've worked, the culture is in existence. So to what extent do you feel that your leadership has influenced that culture? 
I think all of us bring our own personal values and beliefs. It is understanding that it's a journey of discovery for us. It's also a journey of discovery for those we work with. Um, I I do recall when I was working in Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands, my role was a a business role and they were used to the person coming into my role being somebody from overseas, usually Australia or New Zealand. Um, We would come across, we would head that department for two years, we'd move out. We then have a situation where we were asked if we would do another term, which is what we volunteered to do or what I volunteered to do, and suddenly things that were kind of contained within a two-year period could not be contained when you got into year three, year four. So things that people suppressed during the time of your leadership would change. The other dynamic is people would accommodate you on a surface level. Um, And again, this is not a criticism of where I was serving or the organisation I was serving, but people would accommodate you at a particular level for that period of time because their expectation was in two years you'll go and we can go back to doing things the way we've always done them. So it, um, it, it is a binary experience. It, it's me understanding, respecting their journey and them coming to appreciate my influence, my input. You know, we speak often in organisational theory about vision and vision casting And that really is a negotiation. I I can share a vision when I come into a position. I'll I'll have a personal vision because I'll review the operations. I'll see some of the very obvious pitfalls that need to be righted. I will speak into correcting those and people will come with me on a journey. But it only takes root and, and grow when you've actually had time to kind of allow your influence to seep into the culture of where you actually work. So it's, it's a lot more difficult than a mission statement that, you know, we're all going to be such and such and so forth and do it this way. That is truth. And, and interesting um, because uh, just for those who are listening, I did get the questions in advance, which is uh, always helpful. And Daniel, thank you very much for sharing that. But with regards, you know, setting a vision, in my most recent experience, my two roles. I was was program secretary in Chicago for a number of years and I was charged with my team to pull together the strategic vision and strategic plan for the next five years of operation for that territory. A territory within the Salvation Army is um, a level of command that might oversee something between 10 and 14 states in which the Salvation Army operates. So in the USA, we have four territories. This was a central territory. It's a Bible bow to the USA. I'm talking to them about vision and I'm talking to them about strategic planning. I come here to New York and one of my first assignments is to uh, work with the territory to develop a vision and to unpack a strategic plan. Now, where I'm going with that is You can have a great logo and you can have some great video productions that speak into your vision, but actually unpacking that is a journey and it's a journey that's built on several levels because, to be honest, I come into into any setting new, I come in as a foreigner. I come in as one who is new to that culture. Even if I'm in the same country, this you know, you're often inheriting leadership, a, a new team that has already been established and operating for a period of months, possibly even years, and suddenly you're placed in charge 
And you may have a vision and a heart for where that team needs to go, but you do have to actually build up the credit points if you're going to impact long-term change. How does that change and the culture influence the performance of the organisation? Is it something that you're driving from the top or do you have to ask the team how that works? In the settings here, certainly in the USA, um, I have taken a high degree of consultation as the basis of formulating the strategy. Um, There are two dynamics, as I've come to understand it, that operate in tension. One, One is the leadership's vision in my setting for the Salvation Army, USA, Eastern Territory. The other dynamic is the impulse or feel of our stakeholders who work alongside it, which means I've got to have, or my team have to have a consultation, first of all, with our employees and in our setting and our officers to get their heart as to where the Salvation Army should be heading, what where we should be making our major investment as far as energy and assets. And of course, assets are going to be um, physical as well as human assets. We've got to also talk to our stakeholders because We are funded extensively uh, in the USA by donors. And so we want to have all those dynamics coming together, worked out, teased out, and teased out in in a team approach. So we surveyed broadly using a, a digital platform. We got feedback. We then filtered through the feedback that we'd received to determine the the key areas that we were to invest in. We took them to what we call our cabinet, which is our key leadership uh, personnel, and they reviewed those alongside what their heart and belief was the best direction for the Salvation Army. And out of that, we got a definition of what we call five imperatives that we're pursuing as a territory. Now, This is phase one. This is setting the vision, um, providing a feedback from the the people who've contributed. Phase two is that we need to tease that out as a specific strategic plan for our administrative head, our territorial headquarters. Phase three takes us out into the divisions and we work with them to say this is how they see the uh, vision, the five imperatives worked out with their setting. And then we go out further and we work with individual locations, not on a personal level. We, we equip coaches to take that plan, that template, and to work with individuals, understanding that not all people are strategically minded. And so for some of them, we've got to coach them into the idea of, of defining strategy, uh, setting benchmarks, and um, providing the action steps to see those realize. So going back to your question, which seemed to be a long time ago now, what it is, is it's a lot of communication and engagement, gaining respect, giving respect, and then finalizing the findings. So what interests me about the Salvation Army, this context, is that from an outsider's perspective, I'm assuming that everybody in that organization is culturally on board with the mission to to help those in need. Is is that the case? And does that mean that you don't have to do a lot of work in that space? I will say we are particularly blessed with a, a strong loyalty component, which means we don't have the attrition rate with employees that other organisations have. People buy in strongly to the mission. Understand, we may be a Christian church, but not every employee is a Christian. Not every employee even 
necessarily has a faith relationship they fall back on, but they believe in the mission of the Salvation Army, which is about serving the marginalised and disadvantaged without discrimination. That's kind of the hallmark of what we're about. It's engaging with people at their greatest point of need or their lowest point of need in actual fact. And people buy in strongly to that. Their interpretation will probably be a reflection of their own personal value system. They can align with the Salvation Army without compromising their own personal value system and they can buy in with our sense of vision. So I think in, in one context we are particularly blessed by the people who work alongside us. A fantastic um, position to be in. And, and so the cultural work that you have to do as an organisation is probably not a great deal because you have that base already in existence. Certainly the values and beliefs really are a pretty high, is a pretty high quotient as far as the Salvation Army is concerned. The difficulty is the downside of, of long-term loyalty is that we can, um, we can at times become rigid and which means changing direction can be a demanding and costly process, uh, which is when you talk about cultural, um, the organisational culture, that's where our greatest asset can also be our strongest liability because we can have a tendency um, and it's human tendency to institutionalise our programs even to the point where we might presume the needs of individuals. And so... And my appreciation is we keep testing what we're about within the marketplace. We, we keep coming back to how do I communicate to this current generation? What is their real needs as opposed to what we see as their perceived needs? And we respond to those constructively and we use that as arguably, and some people might be critical of this, we would use that as the leverage towards some cultural organisational realignment for want of a better term. Um, So we would actually say, you know, if we're truly about servicing people in their needs, then maybe we need to tweak this service. Maybe this service that we've provided in the past, which is is handled equally well or better by another organisation, maybe we've got to let go of that and and we'll take on this new opportunity to to meet human need at, at its most volatile point. There is a definite vision and energy by everybody in the team to do the right thing, but sometimes that is not going to be the best thing in a certain situation. So you then have to make that culture a little bit flexible. You have to be able to change direction, let go of things, as, you, as you've said, in order to achieve the best outcome strategically. Well, one aspect you've touched on is that we actually filter our vision through our own interpretation. Now, one of the challenges we have for the risk of becoming political is the issue of Black Lives Matter within the USA. Again, just earlier this week, another police shooting, another loss of life, another riot in Minneapolis. That impacts our organisation greatly. There is a thing which I've come to know, which is racial myopathy, which is we interpret through the eyes of our own understanding. So even when you talk vision um, and organisational culture, 
it will be filtered through my understanding, my experience, my interpretation. So part of that journey of instilling a healthy organizational culture is to, again, I use the word tease out the understanding of others who we're communicating with to make sure that we're all on the same platform. Uh, We're all getting on board the same train. We're all moving in the same direction, which is really for a guy who whose mouth runs wild constantly because that's my DNA, Um, it demands that I've got to stop and listen and I've got to ask questions if I'm going to really understand the culture. And I did say um, recently to one of the professors on campus that really one of the greatest gifts that I bring to the Salvation Army in the USA is the gift of ignorance because I can ask questions and I will usually tease it out with, you know, please help me in my understanding because I need to learn where people are at. The reverse side of that is people actually have to rationalise the position that they hold to and and they grow and they learn and they develop through that gift of ignorance. So how do you work on that 360-degree feedback um, within your culture at the Salvation Army? Feedback's often a very difficult thing to take on board for a lot of people. How do you make it easier? If I can give a disclaimer, a a word of warning, the more senior you are within the organisation, the more filtered the information that you're going to receive. Nobody wants to give their boss a bad report. And if they can selectively exclude something from the conversation that's critical, often it will happen. The greatest thing for, and I share this responsibility with my wife to a degree, the greatest thing for me is to get out of the office and to move around our program, to speak to the people on the front line who are giving the service. We spent Thanksgiving in at one of our rehabilitation centres, serving meals on Thanksgiving Thursday uh, because we wanted to actually have a relationship with our beneficiaries to understand their journey, to assess the level of service that we're providing. We wanted to sit down with the manager who was looking after one of our programs and to talk with him and his wife about the difficulties that they might encounter, understand We could leverage this on the back of COVID-19, so it was not a criticism of the institution. It was an expose on the culture within um, the the season within which they were working and operating. But there are symptomatic truths that come out, and if they come out once, you take note of them. If they come out twice, three times, you're going to actually investigate them more deeply or have one of your teams investigate them more deeply. So for us to be... It's as as productive, if not more productive, for me to get out of the office and away from board meetings and team meetings and sectional head meetings and to actually be engaging with our frontline services. So those authentic conversations are what you're looking for? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I've got to say one of the values of a, a millennial population as part of the Salvation Army's human assets is they won't step back in telling you truth. And I've discovered you can counter them with equal truth and they'll respect and accept that. Fantastic. An interesting cultural thing that you've noticed there. Uh, And again, there is a disclaimer because millennial culture here in the USA is different to the UK, which is different to Australia. But again, it is against something that was teased out over over time. How, How candid can we be? How candid can we allow people to be with us? And I've discovered if people have had a good hearing, 
even if they don't agree with you, they will accept and respect your understanding and appreciation. Now, in some quarters, people will say, well, I can't align with that, therefore I'll need to move on. And, you know, I don't begrudge them moving on if, if there is a conflict of values or the interpretation may not align with where they're going. But by and large, I think if people feel they've had a fair hearing, they will move with the organisational culture, even if they're on that little bit of a fringe of the organisational culture. They'll still go with you because they know that their opinion has been validated because you've given them a hearing. Phil, I want to end with um, some advice for our students that you can give to them from your years of leadership. What sort of advice would you give to them when they finish their MBA if they're going into a leadership role, their sort of first leadership role, if you like? What what would set in play in the first leadership will actually carry you through your, your whole leadership. From my perspective, you have to be always open and willing to learn. You know, don't ever grow so arrogant or confident that you feel that your way is the only way. There will be matters of principle or belief that you will hold to without compromise, and that's respected and that's got to be honoured. But by and large, before you speak, listen and hear what the people, your people, and they are your people, your people are saying. The other is understand understand that organisational culture is a very fluid and volatile dynamic. We, none of us, reach the point where we can presume that we fully understand the culture within which we are working because it will continue to morph and change as the world continues to morph and change. There's some very uh, important pieces of advice there, um, Phil, and fantastic um, for us to hear. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Happy to be here. Just a vote of confidence in the USQ was an exceptional online course for me for both my Bachelor of Business and my MBA. And the lessons that I learned 20 years ago are still in play today. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Thank you very much, Phil. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Daniel. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.